Glad to be with you guys this morning. Um, yeah, I'm from Longview, not from League City. I don't know if you know the difference, but Longview is about four hours north of here. League City, I think, is about an hour and a half over to the west. So uh, anyway, I'm just glad to be with you. Um, just tell you a little bit about myself. I am a longtime friend of Pat Camarada's, and Pat's asked me to come several times and preach when he was not able to be here in the past, and I just never was able to work that out. So back in December, when he told me that uh, the Lord was leading him away from here. He said, would you be willing to come one of the Sundays in January? And I said, man, I'd love to do that. And uh, so I'm glad to be with you guys today. I know a little bit about your church just from talking to Pat. I, I was a youth pastor a long time like Pat was. That's my background. And uh, I've had Pat come many times and speak to my students at camps or Disciple Now weekends or different things. He was with us this past summer, actually, and did our youth camp that we did on campus because we weren't able to do the normal camp. But anyway, I'm just glad to be with you guys this morning. My background, as I said, is youth ministry. I have served at my current church 28 years. Uh, Moberly Baptist Church is the name of my church and went there to be the youth pastor. And then about 10 years ago, transitioned into a new role. And I'm now the teaching pastor at my church. We have a couple of different campuses. So uh, when we had a pastor, which we're kind of in the same situation you guys are in, we're without a pastor right now um, and we're searching. And so I, I can appreciate where you guys are and and, uh, but when we had a pastor, he and I would kind of rotate between the venues that we have and preach. And so I'm familiar with preaching, like to preach, like to share God's word. So I'm excited to share that with you as well this morning. But just a little bit about myself. My wife and I have been married for 36 years. We have one son who is 30 years old. He's a pastor in Anchorage, Alaska. He's been there for a couple of years. And uh, we got to be up there at Christmas. We had a white Christmas this year. And um, they are fostering a little six-year-old and a newborn and uh, hope to adopt this foster daughter, be our first granddaughter, first grandchild here in the next couple of months. And so uh, just that little bit about me, I'm just glad to be with you guys this morning. And what I wanna talk to you about this morning is from John 21. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there and we'll get over there in just a minute. But before we go there, see if this resonates with you in some way. Um, all of us deal with at different times in our lives people who seek to have some level of control over us or or we seek to have some level of control over other people. Now you may, well, I don't know if that resonates with me. Well, let me tell you a story from my past that may help you understand what I'm talking about. There's lots of ways that this manifests itself in our lives, but when I was a college student, I went to Howard Payne University. Anybody ever heard of Howard Payne University? A couple of y'all have. It's out in the middle of Texas. If you just threw a dart somewhere near the middle of Texas, you'd be really close to Brownwood, and there's nothing else there. So just middle of nowhere, basically. Little Baptist College, I think when I went, the enrollment was 900 students or something. It was very small. And uh, in the early 80s, when I was there, I would have described myself proudly as a radical Christian. And my roommate, the people that I hung around with, we wanted to be radical for Jesus. Radical was a word that everybody used in the 80s, and uh, we sort of apply it to our spirituality. I don't know if we ever got there, but we wanted to be sold out, radical believers for Jesus Christ. And so uh, the people that we tended to hang around, you know how you go off to college if you've had that experience and you meet people you never knew before and you have all kinds of interactions with people. And um, there was a guy that we had met named Daniel. I don't even remember where Daniel was from, somewhere in Texas. And and Daniel was what I would consider to be a radical Christian. My roommate, Mark, was what I would consider to be a radical Christian. I wanted to be around people like that, people who were sold out, people who would walk up to a total stranger and tell them about Jesus, people who would go out on a Friday and Saturday night and go down the main drag in Brownwood and talk to anybody who would listen to him about Jesus Christ, go to the shopping mall and just start talking to people about Jesus Christ. That's the kind of Christian I wanted to be, someone who was unashamed, unafraid of anything. Whatever the Lord asked me to do, 
I wanted to do it. I wanted to be willing to do it. So these guys that I hung around with were those kinds of guys. And uh, so one day Daniel came to our dorm room and he knocked on the door. I think it was right after Christmas break. So everybody's kind of getting back in the swing of things, kind of like what's going on right now on college campuses. And uh, Daniel, like I said, would consider himself a very radical Christian. Daniel walked in our dorm room. My, my roommate answered the door. And when he saw my roommate, <clears throat> he immediately reacted in a very different way than I'd ever seen him react. He saw my roommate, Mark, and he goes, what is wrong with you? And I'm going, what, what's, what's going on here? You know, and he's like, Daniel's like, what are you wearing? And I, I realized that my roommate, Mark, had a shirt on that had a little horse on it with a little rider on it that people call a polo shirt. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, right? Well, in Daniel's mind, that was worldly. To wear a polo shirt? You're associating yourself with the world. You're trying to be like the world. You're trying to fit in. You're trying to be cool. So he just goes off on my roommate, Mark, and Mark just listens to him. And you have to understand what Daniel wore. Daniel's Christian uniform was he went to the Army Navy store and bought Army fatigues that cost about $5. He tied them up at the bottom. He wore cheap tennis shoes and some kind of Christian T-shirt. The one he had on the day he came in our room was it said, Jesus is the bread of life, and it had a piece of bread on the front of it. How dorky is that? He paid like $8 for that shirt at the Christian bookstore, okay? But that's, what, that's the kind of thing he wore every day because that wasn't worldly. And so here's my roommate, Mark, and he's got this polo shirt on, and Daniel's just going off on him. And Mark waits until he just goes on and on and on. And I know my roommate, Mark. He's a sharp guy. He's ended up serving the Lord as a pastor for many, many years, and he and I are still best friends. So I just waited, and Mark said, are you finished, Daniel? Can I, can I get a word in here just for a second? And he goes, yeah, but I don't understand what's going on with you. And he goes, let me ask you a question, Daniel. What's your wear and what did it cost you? He's like, well, my shirt was like eight bucks. I think my pants were like $5. So he's just, you know, he's like 20 bucks for his outfit. I don't even know. And Mark goes, you know how much this shirt cost me? Nothing, Daniel. You know why? He goes over to the closet. He gets out like 15 hangers. All of them have the little polo man on them. Daniel's mind's about to explode, you know. And he goes, Daniel, you know how much these shirts cost me? Nothing. Because at Christmas, my cousin, who can't wear these anymore, gave them to me. So Daniel, would you prefer that I throw them away when God's blessed me with these wonderful shirts that cost me absolutely nothing? Well, the, the whole point of that story is this. Daniel was like, didn't know what to do with that. The whole point of that is this. Daniel, Daniel went from being a concerned friend to being in a role of trying to control my roommate through his influence, through his shaming, through his, his uh, countenance that he showed to my roommate. And maybe you've had a similar experience in your life where someone has sought to exercise some level of control in your life. Or, like I said a minute ago, maybe you've actually wandered into that territory where you sought to control your spouse, your kids, your friends, another Christian, because they lived in a way or did something that you didn't feel like maybe was the right thing to do. So we've all finished Christmas recently, and sometimes that means for many of us that we've been with people in our family. I don't know about this year, but typically we've been with people in our family that we don't see all the time. And sometimes in those situations, uh, we realize that the reason that it's difficult to be with some people in our extended family is because there are and have been control issues going on in our family. And so for all of us, I think it's pretty obvious that we deal with this and can deal with this from time to time. So in John 21, what you see, there's an interaction at the very, very end of John 21. And it's just a few verses there. But it's a telling thing because God included it in Scripture for us. It's a very telling incident. What's happened is Jesus has come back. He's resurrected. He's appeared to the disciples a couple of times. But they're not really sure what's going on. They're really not sure what the plan is. And so 
In John 21, Peter says to the other disciples, well, I'm going fishing, which Peter had been a fisherman before he started following Jesus. And so for Peter, that sort of represented this sense of, I don't know what's going on with this Jesus thing, but I'm going back to what I know. I'm going back to what's familiar. And because Peter was essentially the leader of the disciples, the other disciples looked at him and said, we're going with you. So they go fish all night. They catch nothing. And so they're off the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and they're, they see a guy on the shore. It's breakfast. It's morning. They've been out there all night long, and they see a fire, and they can't really tell who the guy is. But the guy says, uh, you don't have any fish, do you? He kind of yells out to them, and they go, no, we haven't caught anything. He said, throw your net on the other side of the boat. So they throw their net on the other side of the boat, which really makes no sense. If there's no fish over here, why would there be fish over here? Except that if Jesus is the one telling you to do it. It makes all the sense in the world. So they throw their net over there, and they get so many fish in the net, they can hardly haul it in. Well, Peter, Jesus, John says to Peter, hey, that's Jesus. And Peter jumps out of the boat. He's 100 yards from the shore. He jumps out of the boat and takes off towards Jesus. Now, in that moment, Jesus interacts with Peter, and he says to Peter, do you love me three times? Because three times Peter had previously denied Jesus on the night that Jesus needed him the most. So he restores him. He restores Peter he restores his uh, calling in his life. And uh, when, the, when the other disciples get to the shore, what they find is that Jesus has made breakfast, that there's fish and there's bread and there's a fire. And I love that about Jesus, that he served his disciples over and over again in the scriptures. And so when you come to John 21, 18, there's this interaction. So I'm going to read this out of the Holman Christian this morning, and you can follow along whatever version you have. This is what it says. This is Jesus. I assure you when you were young... You would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted, but when you grow old, you will stretch out your hand and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to signify by what kind of death he would glorify God. And after saying this, he told him, follow me, talking to Peter. So Peter turned around and saw the disciple, Jesus loved following them. The disciple was, uh, that disciple was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and asked, Lord, who's the one that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he's talking about John, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? Jesus said, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? As for you, Peter, follow me. So in this very brief interaction, which when you read it, you go, why is this in the scripture? What was going on here? What's the point of this? Because Jesus has just restored Peter. And, and Peter accepts the restoration very quickly. He's like glad to be restored to Jesus. You ever been there where you've had a sin in your life and you finally dealt with it and then all of a sudden you felt that joy and peace again because you felt like you were back in a right relationship with the Lord? And, and that's what happened in Peter's life. And, and then it, just seconds later, John's following them and Jesus, Peter says to Jesus, hey, Jesus, it's me and you, right? But what about him? What's he supposed to be doing? What should I do with him? And in a sense, what Peter's saying is, um, I'm in control of him. I'm in charge of him. What am I supposed to do with him? And Jesus corrects that thinking. So this morning, there's three things that I would want to share with you that I hope you discover before you walk out of here in just a few minutes. And the first is this, because all of us do deal with control issues in our lives. Either our seeking to control other people or someone uninvited in our life who seeks to exercise some level of control over us. And so the three things I would want you to learn, three discoveries first are this, stay focused on following Jesus personally. And you say, well, that's so obvious. It is, in a sense, so obvious, but so neglected in our day and time. And, and what Jesus is saying to Peter is, and he says it twice to him. It's almost like, I just restored you. Um, 
Peter, follow me, right? And then Peter's immediately looking at John. His eyes immediately go to John. Well, what are we going to do about him? And it's like Jesus is going, Peter, Peter, eyes right here, right here. You ever have kids and you're like, hey, listen, listen to me. You're not looking at me. I don't know if you're listening to me. And it's like Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, I have a relationship with John. I got it handled, Peter. You and I have a relationship, Peter. We're good. So you worry about my relationship with you. Follow me and I'll worry about John. John has a relationship with me. You don't have to worry about controlling John's life. I got it. That's what Jesus is saying. I'm I'm fully in control here. I'm the Lord. (laughs) So I'm fully in control of what's going on. And here's the thing. When we don't focus on following Jesus, we tend to focus on other people. Our focus tends to go to them and what they're not doing right and what needs to change about their life and what is uh, maybe not right with the Lord in their life or whatever. And so um, Jesus isn't just making a clarification here. He's He's making a command essentially to Peter to say, Peter, follow me. Stay focused on following me. It's it's similar to what Jesus said in Matthew 7 when he said, why do you look at the idea of focus? Why do you focus or look at the speck in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and look, there's a log in your eye. Hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. This entire section of the Sermon on the Mount is really about the idea of focusing. And, and what Jesus is saying is he uses the word look, he uses the word notice, he uses, talks about your eyes. All those things have to do with your focus, what you're looking at. And what Jesus tells Peter is, I want you to focus on me. And that's not, that's not a difficult concept to get our minds around, and yet it's one of the most difficult things that most of us struggle with. Just staying focused personally on following Jesus. Now, you may be thinking right now, boy, I wish so-and-so was here this morning to hear this sermon. (laughs) Stop it, okay? (laughs) That's what we tend to do is think about other people and what do they need. And what we're doing is we're taking the focus off ourselves and Jesus when we do that. So let me encourage you this morning to just simply stay focused on following Jesus. Peter couldn't lead for Jesus. Jesus was telling him, I just restored you, Peter, and you can't be the leader I want you to be and need you to be unless you're focused on me. If you're focused on other people or other things, you can't be the leader that I need you to be. And, and following Jesus is personal. I think so many times we start out that way as believers in Jesus Christ and the simplicity of a one-on-one relationship with Jesus Christ, and then something happens. We begin to drift away from that, and we become followers of Christianity. We become followers of the church. We become followers of other Christians. But we lose the simple focus of simply following the person of Jesus Christ, who is alive. We just sing about it. He's alive. And so because he's alive, he's able to speak to you and to me every single day. The question is, are you listening for him today? If Jesus were to speak to you on your way out of here, on the way out of the parking lot this morning, and tell you and lead you into the life of somebody who doesn't know him, would you even hear him? Would you be willing to do what he asked you to do? Because when Jesus leads your life, when you're following Jesus, he always leads us into the lives of people he cares about. There's a lady in our town. She doesn't even go to my church, but I love her ministry. Her name's Alicia. And in our city, there are a lot of homeless people. There's a highway, Highway 80, that runs through the north, of actually the east and west sides of our city. And a lot of homeless people hang out on Highway 80. There's a lot of seedy motels and just there's a lot of prostitution and drug abuse that happens on that street. And for some reason, good-hearted people 
go down there and give people food to eat and do all kinds of things for them. Well, that's happened for a long time. And in many ways, that just enables people to continue in the lifestyles that they're in. But this lady, Alicia, following Jesus, just a simple follower of Jesus Christ, she didn't start a ministry. She didn't put an ad anywhere in the paper. She didn't ask for money from anybody. She just said, Lord, I feel like you're leading me down to Highway 80 to minister to the people who are down there, to hear their stories, to find out who they are, to get involved in their lives, to just love them. And so about 10 years ago, she started doing that. And she would just go down there in her car and she'd open the trunk and she'd have food in her ice chest and she would give out food and she would always want to hear the people's stories. And the stories that she would hear was often that the, the ladies that were down there had been trafficked at some point or maybe they were still under the influence of a man in their life who was forcing them into prostitution so that they could get the drugs that they needed because they were also drug addicted. And she just began to say, well, you're a person that Jesus cares about and so I want to help you. And she would seek to begin to help them just to rescue people one at a time out of that situation. She'd go into those parking lots, those motels where the police don't even want to go, and she would just interact with people. And she's never started a ministry. She doesn't have a nonprofit. She doesn't have T-shirts she gives out. She does, it's none of that. She just follows Jesus into the lives of people that Jesus loves. And that is when you follow Jesus, that's what he'll do in your life as well. That's what he does in my life. But when we focus on following the church or we focus on following Christianity or the teachings of Christ to the absence of a personal relationship with him, we miss it. And, and what, what I love about this short little passage of scripture is that Jesus is very clearly twice saying to Peter, Peter, just follow me. That's where you got off track before, Peter, so just follow me. So the question I would have for you this morning, just first discoveries, this idea of staying focused on following Jesus is, are you today, when you came through those doors this morning, were you following Jesus? Are you following Jesus right now? Are you going to leave here today and simply follow Jesus? We don't have to make it so hard. God, through Jesus, speaks to you through the Holy Spirit, and he leads you to do something. Step up and do what he leads you to do, because when you do that, what you'll find yourself doing is interacting with people that Jesus loves very much, and you never know what that's going to lead to in our lives. But I think churches, generally speaking, Christians in America, we, we, we bemoan the junk that's going on in our country right now, and rightfully so. But what our country needs is Jesus. What the people in our country need is Jesus Christ. And yeah, political decisions and elections have consequences, and that we all know that. But, but just having the right person in the White House is not going to change people's hearts and minds. So we have a role as Christians following Jesus, staying focused on following Jesus and not focused on trying to control someone or someone else in our, in our situation. So that's the first thing I would say. The second thing this morning I would say to you is not just stay focused on following Jesus, but stay free from controlling others. That sounds simple, doesn't it? It's not your responsibility or my responsibility to control other people. That You won't find that in the scripture. There's not a command somewhere in the Bible to control another person. And, and that's essentially why, Peter, why Jesus said to Peter, Hey, Peter, follow me. Focus on me. And he even says to Peter, what is that to you? You know, what, what is that to you? Why are you worried about that? I have a will. I have my will for John's life. If I want him to stay here and, and if I want him to remain here until I come back, that's fine. He wasn't saying that's what was going to happen. He just said, look, if I want that, John and I have a relationship. I can communicate that with him. Peter had control issues in his life. We know that because in Mark 8, it says this. Then he, Jesus, began to teach them Teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, be killed, and rise three days later. And he was openly talking about this with his disciples. So Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. 
But turning around and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but man's. Jesus, Jesus is telling them what's going to happen, and Jesus knows what's going to happen. So he's telling them what's exactly going to happen, and Peter's like, no, that's never going to happen to you. I'm never going to let that happen to you, which is admirable that he doesn't want Jesus to suffer and die and all those things. But he's rebuking the God of heaven in the person of Jesus Christ. He's rebuking God's son. He's rebuking the Lord of life. Peter had control issues. He sought to control things he had no business controlling. And, and we see that in his life over and over again. And I, I like Peter, honestly, because I relate to Peter. When I see Peter, I go, yeah, I'd have probably done that. I'd have probably said that in the same situation, you know. So I can understand the things he, can, he struggled with. Control is a trap. When you seek to control someone else and their behavior and what they're doing or not doing, you end up getting trapped. And your focus gets completely off of Jesus Christ. Your focus becomes that person, their problems, what they're struggling with. And honestly, this is real. I get it. Some of you know people in your lives that are doing terrible things, making horrible choices, hurting people around them, hurting themselves, hurting you. And the most natural thing to do as a human is to seek to step into that situation and change it in some way, control it in some way to stop the pain. But the reality is we don't have control over other people. And when we start, when we seek control over other people, we find ourselves trapped oftentimes in those situations. Um, you know, when I was brand new in ministry, right out of college, I was serving as a youth minister, a little church, and I had about 20 kids in my youth group. And it was out in the country, and I loved it. I was happy doing that and just the, didn't know what I was doing. They gave me an office, and I was like, what do I do? I'm sitting here, and what do I do? I don't even know what to do, you know? So I had to learn all that the hard way. And uh, one of the things I got very wrong was I had about 20 or 30 kids in my youth group. And so I began to believe that it was part of my responsibility as the youth minister to actually exercise some control over these kids, which is insanity to try to exercise control over teenagers. Amen? Can I get an amen on the back row back there? Okay, so here's the deal. I thought that, though. So, so somebody would call me on a Friday night and say, hey, the kids are having a pasture party, and two or three of your kids are down there. Oh, man, what would I do? Get in my car and go down to the pasture party and yank those kids out of that party and say, you're not, you're not supposed to be down here. You're not supposed to be drinking. You're not old enough to be drinking. Get out of here. Get in my car. We're taking you home right now. Well, after a few times of doing that, I was like, really? Is this right? Am, am I supposed to be controlling these kids' lives? Am, is that my role as a youth pastor in their life? No, it wasn't. But that's what I thought. And, and God dealt with me on this, this very issue in my life related to the kids that I ministered to to say, it's not my job to control them. The second church I went to, um, I had a situation happen where, and, and you've probably had this happen if you work with kids at some point, where a kid really challenged me. We were in Bible study one night, and I probably got 25 or 30 junior high kids, 7th and 8th graders who love to study the Bible, in a room, and we're sitting in a style on the floor, and I'm trying to teach them the Bible, and I'm really passionate about what I'm saying, and uh, Michael's sitting over here on the floor, and I like Michael. I have a good relationship with him. He's ADHD. He's every bit junior high boy, you know, interested only in girls, which is cool, and so he's sitting by this little pretty girl over here, and so as long as I'm looking at Michael, he's looking right at me, but you know what happens as soon as I take my eyes off Michael, he starts talking to the girl next to him, you know, so he starts doing that. So that went on for a little while, and I, can, and I can see other kids' eyes watching Michael and not looking at me. Again, focus, right? So I said, hey, Michael, um, here's the deal, dude. You want to be in here? Great. You don't want to listen? Fine with me. But don't keep the people around you from hearing this. This is God's word, and it's very, very important, and I want you to hear what's happening. I want the people around you to hear what's happening here. 
If you don't care, just sit quietly. If you don't, I'm going to ask you to leave, okay? Because this is really important, what we're doing here. And I don't want to ever ask a kid to leave a Bible study because it just totally throws cold water on the whole thing. So I didn't really want to do that. So I'm looking at him, and I can't just look at him. So eventually I make my way over here to this side of the room, and as soon as I do, I see Michael's face turn to this girl. I turn around real quick, and he looks like, you know, I got caught, right? So I said, Michael, that's it. I said, you need to go. Just go out in the hall and do whatever you want to do. We're going to have Bible study tonight. And Michael looked at me, and he said, no, I'm not leaving. Well, I'd never had that happen before, and I was like, I'm bigger than him. I could physically go pick him up and remove him from the room, but that doesn't seem like the right thing to do, so I'm not going to do that. And I'd already dealt with this issue in my life, so I said, you know what, Michael? You want to stay? I'm not going. I was like, okay. I said, then here's what I'm going to do. Kids, I can't control any of you, right? You're here under the authority of your parents, and I can't control you. The only person in this room I can control is me. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm leaving. And I'm going to go down to my office, and I'm going to take my Bible with me. And if any of you want to have Bible study in my office, follow me down there. The rest of you do whatever you want to do for the next 45 minutes. It's fine. But when you go home and your parents ask you what happened at Bible study tonight, just tell them. Okay? Michael, that includes you. So uh, he said, I'm not leaving. So I got up, went downstairs. About five kids went downstairs with me, and we're in my office, which has a glass window. So parents are walking by going, why is Paul in his office? during? Where's the rest of the kids? Who's with the kids right now, you know? So every parent of every junior high kid knew what happened that night, including Michael's parents. I never had another problem out of Michael again, okay? But the point is this. I really couldn't control Michael. Influence him, yes. Ask him to do the right thing, certainly. But I couldn't make him do anything. And in that moment, all I could do is control myself. And really, that's what the Lord wants for each one of us is to stay free from controlling other people from seeking to manipulate or work things around to get people to do or behave or act in some way that we want them to act. Jesus said to Peter, Peter, follow me. What is it to you, what my will for John? Stay out of John's life. You focus on me and you. Let me worry about John. And so today, I think sometimes the reason we do that is we have uh, what I would call responsibility confusion. We feel like that we're responsible to control other people sometimes, and we're not. The Bible doesn't command us to do that. Sometimes when we get involved in seeking to control other people's lives, we actually interrupt God's plan for their life. Galatians says this, don't be deceived, God's not mocked. In other words, he remains unchanged and in, in control. Whatever a man sows, he also reaps, because the one who sows to the flesh will reap corruption from the flesh, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Sometimes when we step in and try to control other people's lives, we interrupt what God's doing in their life, which is to bring them to the end of themselves. And you always hear that story where people have to hit the bottom. Well, a lot of times people do before they finally look up. And that's painful. And most of us, if there's somebody that we love who's in that situation, we don't want to wait until they get to the bottom. We want to try to avoid the bottom. But oftentimes we can't. We have no control over what that person does. And oftentimes what God is doing is allowing them to sow and reap what they've, just, what they've sown in their lives to bring them to a place of decision, to bring them to a place of saying, I need the Lord in my life. And when people get involved and try to control that and stop that natural process, that spiritual process, they're thwarting God's work in someone's life. So for a lot of people, control looks like protection. If I control you, I can protect you. For some people, control looks like love. If I control you, I'll control you because I want what's best for you, even when you don't want what's best for your own life. Or it's fear. If I don't control you, you'll do something terrible to yourself or someone else, which might be true. It's very possible. What about insecurity? If I don't control you, you might leave me. 
That happens in a lot of relationships. A lot of dating relationships are like that. Seek to control you. Who are you talking to on the phone? Why didn't you text me back five seconds ago? What's going on with you? Are you texting someone else? Can we see your phone? I want to see who you've been texting or calling or whatever. That insecurity, that sense of trying to control another person, it doesn't work. Or control is transformation. If I control you, then I can change you. I can get you to change. And that often results in a lot of frustration and the lack of freedom in our own lives. So, so I would say this, that um, we want to stay focused on following Jesus. The second thing is that we want to stay free. And the third thing I would say quickly this morning is stay fruitful by resting in God's control. That's so important. Stay fruitful by just resting in the fact that Jesus said, Peter, I got John. And the reality is whoever you're worried about or whoever you're seeking to control God has them too. You say, no, they don't know God. They don't know anything about God. They need me in their life. Well, yeah, you're in their life to be an influence in their life, certainly to be salt and light, but not to control them. God doesn't call us to do that. Jesus doesn't lead you to do that. He leads you to be an influence, certainly. And so we have to just rest in God's sovereign control. As Christians, we believe that God is sovereign. What's going on in our country right now? People worry about the, the, this, the change of the presidency and all the things that are coming, and there may be some crazy bad things coming. It may happen in our country, but God's unchanged because God sits above it all in control. Nothing threatens the control of God in our world in any way. In fact, if you read the Old Testament, what you see is that God often used people that were very bad. He used them on purpose to accomplish something that he wanted to happen in the world. So I don't know what's going to happen out of these next four years or however long the next president's going to be in office and all the craziness that may come as a result from that, but I know this, God's still in control, and that means this, God's sovereignty means this, that God has as much control in any situation as he wants to have. No one's over him. He doesn't answer to anyone. He doesn't have to get anyone's approval before he makes a decision. He exercises as much control as he wants to in any situation, which means that he gives me some control, and I get to make choices. One of the themes you see running throughout the entire Bible from Genesis all the way to Revelation is human responsibility. I've been given a choice. You've been given a choice. Some people choose Jesus. Some people don't choose Jesus. The reality is we each are given some control over the choices that we make in our lives. God does that because God is in control. He could take that away. He could change any of that that he wants to. But I can rest in God's control because when I can't change something about someone that I really love, I can just trust them to God. God's in control. It doesn't mean that I'm going to get everything that I want, but I'm not going to get that by trying to control them anyway. But I can trust God with that situation. And I would say to you that's so real um, I was sharing with a, a couple before I started th this morning that, you know, my wife and I've been through a whole lot in the last year. A lot of people have, but my wife was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer Jan September a year ago and was given months to live. And, uh, that was a shock. All of that was a shock. She had back pain, went to the hospital and they said, you've got cancer all in your spine, breast cancer. It's all in your bone marrow. It's in your lungs, in your brain. It's, it's pretty much all throughout your body. She's been cancer-free since last February. <laughs> now, I'll say to you, in that moment, I have zero control. When the doctor says that, I go, I have no control over cancer. I'm scared to death. Something's going to happen to my wife. I don't know what's going to happen. And those situations are real. That's when it gets real is when you say, I can rest in God's control. God has a plan. And I didn't know the plan was to let her continue to live. I hoped that was the plan. I prayed that was the plan. So far, that seems to be the plan. We'll see, one chapter at a time. But I have to, just like you, I have to keep resting in God's control. And what I'll say to you is, that's the best place to be in our lives. 
is to continually be resting in God's control. Stay focused on that. Uh, John says this, my father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Jesus wants us to bear fruit in our lives. We stay fruitful by resting in his control. And so this morning, just as I close, um, I want to pray for you. And I want to ask you to be honest about something. So I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes because this is really not for anybody but you and God. But if you would say this morning, you know, I'm struggled and I am struggling with trying to control someone else in my life that I love very much. Or someone's continually seeking to control me and it, it creates a very destructive relationship. I don't want it anymore. And I just want you to pray for me this morning. I'd like to do that. I'd like to pray for you um, to know the Lord's will in your life. So if that's you, would you I'm not going to ask you to come forward. Would you just raise your hand if that's you and you'd say, I, I'm struggling with that this morning. Either way. Someone's trying to control me or I'm really struggling with controlling someone else. Thank you for your honesty. Somebody else. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I've got a situation in my life right now that I don't have any idea how it's going to be resolved, but I'm having to trust God just like you guys. God, I pray this morning for these folks and just had the honesty to raise their hand to say this hits home. It's where I live. It's what's going on in my life right now. Lord, you know that. And I'm thankful that you are in control. I'm thankful that you have control over every variable and um, nothing threatens or thwarts your power, your authority, or your control. And so I pray in their lives individually, you know who raised their hand here, Lord, and maybe who wanted to, that you would give them freedom, that you would set them free from seeking to control others or from being under the control of others, and that you'd help them to rest fully in the freedom that you offer and the control that you have. And thank you today for Jesus. Thank you for this great church. I pray that you will bless them and lead them to their next pastor in your time. And we offer these things to you today in Jesus' name. Amen.